Hello and welcome to the Unmissable Movies podcast with me, Stephen Hayes, and Sam Cox. Hello. Here we go, Steve. Looking forward to this, mate. Yeah, I know. Episode one. I'm I'm excited. This feels like a this feels like a big moment. Like the uh, inaugural episode. Yes, a new podcast is born. <laughs> it's been it's being it's being delivered as we speak. Um, and, the, and everyone knows the entire world right now is crying out for more podcasts. Exactly. Um, here we are, just just in the nick of time with another one. <laughs> Uh, so in in this podcast, in each episode, we highlight an unmissable movie that people might have missed. And this week, we're looking at Road to Perdition. So, Sam, why are we calling it unmissable movies, and why might people have missed them? Is that not a bit oxymoronic? Um, well, I mean, we've been uh, into movies obviously for a long time. It's been uh, probably the at the heart of our our many years of, of friendship. And yeah. so there's so many ways we could talk about movies. Um, and I think we've been wanting to just sit and talk about movies for a long time. But we sort of realized, you know, you can go and listen to a million podcasts on The Godfather or Shawshank Redemption. And yeah, I'd love to sit and talk about those movies. But I think what we realized was there's some, just some great movies out there that um, I think are just absolutely amazing. Just classics or just films that really should be revered. That yeah. maybe just got missed. They just got a little bit lost in the in the in the noise of some of the yeah. other movies that are out there. So yeah, we're not we're not like we you know we're not going down um, into some super obscure you know let's look, let's look at the the nineteen fifties Ukrainian movies <laughs> from the art house. Yeah, we're scene. not going to pretend to know loads about <laughs> Japanese cinema in this podcast. No. Um, nor do we so wish to. yeah, and it's probably movies that you've heard of, but maybe just didn't get round to to seeing. And so, Road to Perdition. This is where we're going to start. This for me is the quintessential un- uh, uh, unmissable movie. Yeah, I think I think, and we've obviously watched it in preparation for this, but watching it again the last couple of days, I honestly think it's one of the most. I think it should be one of the most revered films of the twenty first century. Um, all, all time yeah it's I th- just amazing i think for us there's pro- there was probably about a seven or eight year period where most weekends were us watching movies that were in this rough sphere of you know being really amazing artistic but not perhaps widespread mainstream movies and i think with the mcu dcu expanded star wars universe the fast and the furious franchise the mission impossible franchise everything's kind of big and franchised now and we wanted to look at films that don't really necessarily have sequels and and films that stand alone to tell one beautiful story and for me road to perdition is top of the list it's my it's in my top five and it could be number one yeah so one of the things we're aware of as we launch into this is you know how interesting is it to listen to two people just gush on all day long about their favorite things? And <laughs> the answer is not very. And so we're hopefully going to be cr- a bit critical. We really want to peel back the layers and just explore, you know, these movies um, critically as well as just as fans. But hopefully, yeah, you're going to find it um, interesting and maybe you will end up checking out some of these films. I will have to warn you, although I'm afraid there will be spoilers. We just can't dive into these these films without um giving away some of the good stuff but um, you know hopefully you you know that'll be okay uh, I, I don't think um 
some of the biggest revelations about Road to Perdition, for instance, are going to spoil the, the viewing. No. Um, and in a way, watching it again recently, I think that if you're really switched on and aware of what's going on in the narrative, you kind of know that things are barreling towards a certain inevitable end. And so, um, sorry about any big spoilers. I'd also add to that, if anyone were to watch one of these movies off the back of our recommendation and our passion for this movie and then kick off about the spoiler, well, you wouldn't have seen it anyway if we hadn't got you onto it. That's so true. Keep that in mind before you start berating us on keep social media. Keep an open mind, people. <laughs> Please. So, I think we're ready to launch in. This is episode one, Road to Perdition. Let's go for it. So, Sam, can you set up the context of this movie, when it came out, all that stuff? Yeah, this is a 2002 film um, directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, he had just come right off the heels of American Beauty, which was a, a smash success film, yeah. really put him on the map. And um, it stars, this film stars just an insane cast. Tom Hanks, Paul Newman is in this film, Jude Law. Um, Daniel Craig, and then you've got just a couple of appearances from guys like Stanley Tucci, mm. um, the the young actor who I th- I don't think I've seen him in anything else, but his name is Tyler Hoykalukchilislinen, <laughs> and um, something like that. And he actually he's been in like a vampire thing, and he also plays Superman. Oh, really? In in yeah, there's like a Superwoman program where he plays Superman, and he okay. looks looks very good in the part, Sam. Good for him. No, he's good in this. He's great in this film. He he has a lot to carry in terms of the the story, and he does pretty damn well, I think. Very well, yeah. So um, that's when this film came out. Um, it's also, and I think we'll get into this a bit more. But one of the things I love the most about this film is the cinematography, and the the this is the final film um, that had Conrad Hall behind the camera and in charge of all things photography and I, I just think that's one of the things that makes this film stand out um yeah, yeah. you could pause any moment of this film and it would you could put it on your wall basically that's right it's stunning yeah yeah so that's the film i think um one of the things i looked at the other day was um when did this appear because tom hanks is kind of the lead and um this film i think it's i think it's in really tom hanks's sort of 10 year just when he the, just the heart of his his career really he Mm. He had that ten-year stretch between '93 and 2003 that included um, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, mm. It was just a slew of unbelievable movies. This is like the heyday for Tom Tom Hanks. Oh, yes, you had you had Green Mile. You've got Mail, Saving Private Ryan in that time. Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story two. So and then I believe it was. Uh, Catch Me If You Can straight after which was also another amazing film and then Lady Killers and, and that, that, it kind of broke the hot streak really didn't yeah, it? Yeah I think probably Catch Me If You Can is his last great role then there's about a 10 year gap until I think Captain Phillips and the, the second wave of, of just great Tom Hanks films. So, Sully yeah. yeah Sully so this comes at the end of that 10 year run Um and it's interesting looking at the the Oscars for this year. And I think one of the things we want to make sure we talk about in this podcast is why this film may have been missed, why it may have been overlooked. And there's obviously a bunch of reasons, but I think one of them um, is that you know this this film was like really came out in the the first 
like the coming of age for CGI. You know, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers was also out this year. Um, this it was just it was just a, a time when the Mummy Returns. Exactly, another <laughs> great example of computer generated filmmaking. And I yeah. think it was just, you know, people were hungry for that. And that's what they wanted. A movie set in the 1930s shot in, you know, 35 millimeter film by an old, uh, you know, an aging great Hollywood cinematographer. Just It just didn't make enough noise um, yeah. in the rest of everything else that was going on. So I, th- I think it got a bit lost for that reason. But I also think it's one of the reasons that it's aged so well. You yeah. know, like Lord of the Rings as great as they are, haven't actually aged very well because they relied so heavily on CGI and things have moved well, on. Yeah, there's a lot of practical effects in Lord of the Rings. So I would say for the most part, it's fine. But then as soon as you throw a giant orc or golem into the mix, then it very much ages the film, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but with this, it's it's entirely... There's no explosions. There's no There's no need for it. Uh, so that's probably part of the reason. I think it's a really good observation. I also think, Sam, and I remember feeling this at the time, the name is so unsexy. It's absolutely true. I thought the exact same thing. So I remember yeah. thinking, eh, Road to Perdition. If they'd call it, like, Gangster Heist Squadville. Yeah. Something <clears throat> just more immediate. I think people would have probably seen it. But yeah. Road to Perdition. It's eh, so true. Pa- I pass. I agree. Yeah, it's a bit like um, Shawshank Redemption. It was like a weird name. And, and, you know, it was just one of those things where luckily that movie entered the public consciousness. I think it was through VHS and other things and, and being yeah. rerun all the time on TNT or whatever. But, yeah, Road to Perdition is a slightly weird name. Um, and, again, when it, when that's up next to Chicago and Lord of the Rings and some of the other big films that came out that year, it's easy to see how it got a little bit a little bit lost. But I think... Uh, it's interesting. It's just appeared on Netflix in the US. Mm. And so I think it might be, you know, having another little moment. We'll see. But um, I think it's I think it's just aged so well. Like I watched it this week twice and I was like, this is this feels better than it ever did. Yeah. And I think it's because we're like as movie, in, you know, people that enjoy movies, we're kind of ready for uh, something a bit more earthy and organic again. Um and that's exactly what this film is. I think it's one of the most, I think it's one of the best looking films ever made. Yeah. And if you're someone who likes the MCU and Star Wars and big franchises, don't don't think this isn't a film you won't enjoy because it's got so much about it. The performances by all of the, all of the cast, the music, Thomas Newman is stunning. The direction is incredible. The narrative is so encapsulating when you when you're watching it and on the surface it's it's this gangster movie but there's there's so much else going on isn't there yeah i think um again watching it 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 sort of makes it actually goes to quite great pains to not feel like a gangster movie you know they they like they talk about capone but they don't show capone Mm. um the the violence is very um you know it's not trivialized at all like it's it's very uh the the effects of violence are like very very key to the narrative um and you know they don't take it lightly they show tom hanks character mike sullivan slowly you know assembling the tommy gun out of the the suitcase and all these kind of things so it's it's kind of 
I think it's gone out of its way to not feel, and I, and I know that for Sam Mendes, he wanted to depart from that sort of pinstripe, you know, yeah. flicking, the, flicking the coin, silly image <laughs> of gangsters from the noir era of films. Um, and I think that's one of the, the other reasons I love it. It doesn't feel hokey. You know, when you watch this next door to The Untouchables, for instance, which I love, it's a great movie. Yeah. It, the Untouchables feels a little bit hokey, you know. Yeah, so, you never get any character saying, we're going to get that Sullivan, see? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not once does that happen. Yeah. But another great element of this movie is there's a massive father-son thing going on, which is, which is pretty amazing in, in the context of the film. And you've got kind of parallels where you've got Mike. They're both both Tom Hanks and Tyler's characters are Michael. But for the sake of this, Mike is Tom Hanks because they call him Mike pretty much exclusively. And Michael is the is the boy. And there's so much early in the movie where Mendes does a really great job of capturing the watchfulness of youth. And you see the boy, uh, Tyler, um, Michael just drinking in everything Mike Sr. is doing and trying to understand his behavior. And you often see the, sh- the, the shot from the point of view of, of Michael. And then you've also got the, the relationship between Paul Newman's character, John Rooney and Connor Rooney, where both Connor and, and Michael are, are trying to gain their father's love and, and, and affection but in both cases, there's someone else who seems to be getting it, and it's a really, it's really the backbone of, of this movie, isn't it? I think so, and and like I, I I was thinking when I first watched this film, that dimension of it probably got a little bit lost on me, you mm. know. But being older and watching it again lately, it's like man, that that whole thing just comes through so much. Um, so we should probably zoom back and uh, and talk about the, the the just the plot quickly before we jump in Mm. Um, and i realize actually as we've as we've started this i think that this is um this is a podcast for people who've seen this movie and love it as well um you know how often do we sit and talk for 45 minutes about anything yeah um so even if you have seen this film for a long time it's just so cool to dive in and and see exactly some of the decisions that were made by the filmmakers and you know there's so much artistry that comes through they haven't you know, there's just, and, and that's how it should be. You know, there isn't a single frame or shot or line of dialogue that hasn't been carefully thought through. And that's that's exactly what it should be like. Um, and I think that just, that shines through at, at every level on this film. So yeah, absolutely. let's dive into the, the story. Do you want to give it a, a good stab? Yeah. So the film opens with narration from Michael Sullivan Jr. about the six weeks on the road with his dad. Uh, early in the film, there's a scene where you see Michael and his family going to a wake where a gangster's been killed and John Rooney, Paul Newman's character, is hosting this wake and the brother of the guy who's been killed speaks out against John Rooney and gets shut down by Tom Hanks. And That's where you first see Paul Newman, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh man, Paul Newman's so good. I know, legend of cinema. And he's kind of a bit of a grandfather figure to Mike's kids. And you see them playing a game with dice. And it's quite a sweet relationship that they establish. So when you see this brother speaking out against John, 
who's obviously a gangster and has done a whole lot of bad things. You then see Connor, Rooney, uh, John Rooney's son, and Mike go to speak to this guy later on that day. And Michael Jr., as a stowaway, kind of follows him to see what is going on, what, what his dad does. And he sees Connor blow this guy's head in, basically. And in the aftermath of that, you you get Michael finding out that his son is there. Connor finds out and actually says, can he keep a secret? Which kind of show, shows the, the threat that he poses as a character. Mm. And basically in the aftermath, he, he kills Mike's younger son and he also kills his wife. And it's very clear then that um, Mike is doing a whole load of um, debt collecting and one of the people he actually tries to collect the debt from is given a message from John Rooney to say, take him out and all debts are clear. So suddenly it's it's a bit of a um, bombshell moment in the film and it changes the, the course of, of the narrative. So it's a kind of, so it's kind of mano o mano at that point. You've got <clears throat> Tom Hanks and his young son who the, the mob have assumed they've killed, yeah. but they actually killed the younger brother on the run against Paul Newman's mob and his son, played by Daniel Craig, and they send uh, a kind of a contracted killer to hunt them down. And yeah, like you say, that's when it becomes this... It's kind of like a road movie at this point. Yeah, so you get them kind of driving away from their their family home, and it then becomes about... Really, it becomes a a revenge movie in many respects there. So you've got... Michael and his son going around a load of banks taking dirty money effectively and it all leads down to him getting to the point where he's able to seek revenge on the Rooney family uh, the, the hired killer is Jude Law who's absolutely incredible and we'll come back to that so he's going after it's a bit of a cat and mouse thing which is a bit ironic as Tom Hanks is playing a cat and mouse thing but shoe on the other foot in catch me if you can straight after this oh of um, course that's such a good point yeah and it all culminates in revenge happening and what would seem to be a a sweet end to the whole movie but not to be yeah yeah so spoiler alert more or less everyone dies it's like mars attacks <laughs> <laughs> the great mars attacks <laughs> um yeah, it's 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 funny. It's quite. It feels like quite a convoluted narrative, um, and I think you know I've seen this film so many times now that I know exactly what's going on. But I think mm. it, it's very very. Um, it's told one of the, one of the things you notice is how lean the the dialogue is, mm. and how this film is really told primarily in in through image. There's very little exposition at all, really. Yeah, there's one or two expositional conversations in the whole film. And even yeah. those feel like they, you know, they've earned their place. Um, oh, yeah. Just going back and and, and going over the, the sort of the big themes of the movie, uh, we've touched on it already, but it's it's this kind of gangster, not gangster movie. It's It's really not so much about the action and the guns as it is about this journey between kind of parallel father-son relationships Mm. um and you know ultimately for tom hanks character he's trying to save his son from living the same life that he's lived Um, yeah 
any review you read of this movie will say it's a gangster film that's actually a father-son film but the father-son element is huge from a heart point of view but the actual narrative and i think this is part of why it's so good to watch is that it is so much about his revenge and who doesn't love a revenge story he, he's his wife and son have been brutally murdered in cold blood and and yeah a pause on that scene by the way where young michael goes home and it looks as though daniel craig's character connor is staring straight at him but then it shows the other angle and he's actually just looking at his own reflection yeah i love there's, that there's so that's such a kind moments. of a hitchcock hitchcock moment yeah um i wondered if sam mendes had had actually taken that from hitchcock but i think that he devised of that himself which is pretty cool I mean, Tom Hanks is so established by this point at being able to really carry a narrative, you know, just on his own back, mm. um, that you're really, you're really watching, um, you're really watching him at his best, yeah. you know. And I think that's one of the things I was wondering, I was going to ask you, Steve, was, you know, this is kind of a departure for Tom Hanks. Like he doesn't often play these sort of darker characters. Yeah. I actually, I actually think it takes a while in the beginning of the movie to really get used to that. You know, he's Tom Hanks is so, um, you know, we know him so much as just such a warm, warm. He has such warmth, you know, as an actor. Yeah. Um, I think it you takes a little you... bit of time to 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 actually go. Oh, he's genuinely a bad guy. Like he's a mob enforcer for the Irish mob, and yeah, you know, that's who he's playing in this movie. But he, but then, but he does it so well. You know, he's. You know that scene where he um, he confronts uh, one of the sort of uh, John Rooney henchmen, um, and uh, it's clear, you know, that they've they've thought that they've killed the right son, but they haven't. And he goes to visit this guy, um, and it's the first time he you know points a gun at someone's head and takes them out. You go, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is how he's gonna behave in the next act of this movie <laughs> oh yeah and i think it's so evident in this movie that tom hanks he, he's just the way he carries himself he's got so much confidence in how he's playing the role he's so comfortable in it and you're right he's not you're used to seeing him play woody in toy story and have this really really animated kind of way about him a lot of the time and in this movie He's not animated at all. He's very thoughtful. And even, like, he packed on a few pounds for this film. So he's he's bulkier. He looks like a bear at points in this movie. Yeah. Especially when the when his son hugs him. And he's kind of um, 12 o'clock shadow. And he, yeah. just look, he just looks like a different character. And I think, as a viewer, that actually helps the movie. Because you kind of sense the same distance from him as michael sullivan does his son you kind of you can't connect with him because you don't really know what he's about yeah i think that leads us on to talk about um just the first third of this movie and some of the just some of the amazing work that conrad hall did of um kind of helping to keep the audience at distance from Tom Hanks' character, you know, so that we really feel that we're journeying the same as his son. You know, there's these corridors that just seem way way longer than, you know, they are in real life. And they actually built 
the whole um, Rooney house on a on a stage, and they they made sure that the corridors were longer than normal, so that it looked as though he was just far away, mm. you know. And it's and it's you know it's kind of obvious, um, especially once you've seen it a few times. But there's some really really just nice poetry in the some of the framing, you know, the way that the um, the, the the father and son are kind of lit, physically split. You know, there's mm. there's the there's doorways or there's window frames or there's, um, you know, there's one shot of the boy and and his dad in the car and they're separated literally by the the pillar, you know, in the car and it's it's mm. it's that stuff that you don't notice so much, um, but it's all there, it's all subtle and it and that dissolves, you know, as the movie goes on and obviously this is a story about their relationship, um, kind of warming. And yeah, that sort of disintegrates that sense of separation. And there's that final scene um, after Tom Hanks has kind of finished and done all that he's needed to do. And he's had his revenge. Um, he's able finally, you know, to walk through that doorway. And they made a specific, again, they made a specific room for the shot uh, to be able to show him finally walking through the door. And they kind of hug together for the first time. Yeah. So I love just the intentionality about the symbolism you know, in this film and the way that that's expressed in picture and in, in cinematography and framing in, in, in this movie is, is something that I think even if you're, you know, if you haven't studied film or anything like that, it's just, it just screams at you and it makes it such a, such an enjoyable film to, to watch. And, and it's just full of so much artistry and Conrad Hall won an Oscar for it. Yeah. Um, he won a few Oscars in his life. You know, he was involved as the DP on a, on a bunch of iconic movies. Um, and this was his last, and he was yeah, he was awarded the Oscar, yeah, for his work. I think <clears throat> there's loads of things you've touched on there. I think you're right. This the framing of some of the shots are they work so incredibly well, and it's almost like in the same way that someone who isn't musical wouldn't really be able to tell you much about the bass in a song, but you'd notice if it wasn't there. It's the same in this movie where you don't always know why the director's doing what he's doing, or even even why you might not even notice it but even if you take the scene where the brother gets shot the the brother of the guy who died at the wake oh in the warehouse um yeah kieran and, hines character yeah that's right and you're seeing it from michael jr's perspective and for half the scene if not more you only hear mike senior's voice you don't even see him so you get that sense of separateness there and that kind of continues as you as you rightly say th th for a lot of the movie and then there's kind of a a turning point for that in that relationship after the diner scene which we'll kind of loop back to but there's a scene where suddenly it goes to a handheld cam and it and and you get this back and forth between them and they finally tell each other what they think for the first time and that's i think that's probably the turning point where that separateness starts to dissipate so um like I was saying before, this is a this is a film with pretty lean dialogue. It's mostly told through through images, and we'll get to some of the the great. There are a few great lines that really stick with you, especially in a film that um, doesn't have tons of dialogue. But mm. there's just a few shots that, as you watch this film, you just can't help but just want to pause it and think, "Oh my goodness, how come all these shots are in the same movie?" Yeah. So one of the ones that I love is the when they arrive in Chicago, and John Rooney, um, sorry, Tom Hanks' character, uh, 
Mike, Mike Sullivan. Mike, Mike they've Sullivan, yeah. they've gone to Chicago to try and get some help from Capone. They go and see Capone's. Um, I don't know what he what is he an assistant or some, he just kind of runs things for Capone. I think he's his PA. Yeah. Do, do mobsters like have PAs? <laughs> I guess they did. It seems Someone like a pretty prof- professional setup they had going on. Yeah. Someone has to do the filing, I suppose. So they've gone to Chicago and they walk into this reading room. And uh, there's probably two, three hundred people in there all reading a newspaper. And there's these shafts of light coming in. And it's like, you know, it's it's like the kind of thing that that you that you would see in Frank Capra films or in a, you know, or, or there's it's just got that kind of iconic early cinema Citizen Kane thing about it where you just can't help but go, oh, my goodness, they've really that is just amazing. They've really spent some time working on the light here to make it something memorable. Yeah. It feels, um, so that's one feels that really that's classic. one that stuck out. Yeah. That's one that stuck out to me. I don't know whether you had any, I think probably the shot in the film that is the most kind of staggering. And certainly for me at the time, cause I didn't even know what, what I was seeing is the introduction of Maguire. So Jude yeah. Law's character, I think yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. up with, um, Jack Sparrow stepping off the the sinking ship at the start of the first Pirates film. It's in the best character introductions for me because you've got this really disorientating Thomas Newman score with like crazy clarinet and all sorts and the dolly zoom effect where which is effectively the camera zooming in whilst moving back and it or or the reverse of that. But it totally disorientates you because the central uh, figure in the in the scene seems to be stationary, but everything around is moving. Yeah, and, the, the whole thing's like concertinaing in on itself. Yeah, and so the whole thing is just incredible. So that shot is is breathtaking. Yeah, that sticks with you. I, and I think it's a really bold shot. Like that could have been a bit of a fail or a distraction. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But I, it feels awesome. Like I and I think those those moves, those reverse dolly zoom moves, are usually like really fast. You know, like in Jaws, there's that famous one in Jaws where he realizes on the beach, yeah, um, that the attack is going on. But to do it so slowly, I think is why it feels like oh my goodness, what's happening? You know, it's like a crazy <laughs> yeah. visual effect done with the camera. It happens in Fellowship, doesn't it? So what's that? Like a year a year before. Uh, when Frodo's looking down towards the ring race, and suddenly you, you see it happens there, but it's oh, so yeah. br- it's so brief, you don't really have time to take it in. But in this, you're on you're on it for like 25 seconds. Yeah, and and that going with the disorientating score just makes it uh, a stunning character introduction. And then you've yeah, got Jude we- Law within that shot, looking like a dying rat <laughs> i know it's an amazing it's unrecognizable so i found out listening to the director's commentary that they they thinned his his hair i mean jude law is you know is this matinee idol actor at this point kind of known for his looks and so to do this creepy character with awful teeth and <laughs> yeah yellow nails they they thinned his hair by like plucking them out one by one <laughs> in the just but just in the middle of his head so he has this kind of fading <laughs> It's it's like it's terrible, but but it sort of establishes that he's like this plucked chicken who's just been thrown out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's like they needed someone um, morally even lower than than the Rooney mob 
And so they turn to this like creepy guy and Jude Law just does such a good job of it. Yeah. Um, personifying and, it. And it's a great character. And straight after you've got his first scene where he's shooting the guy presumed to be dead, but he actually has to finish him off. And then when he's suffocating him and then you've got the train tracks going by and then it's, it cuts back. Yeah. There's that uh, triple, tr- that triple zoom back. Yeah. So that's probably those two shots within that five minute period of the film probably the two that stand out for me the most um yeah it's like that scene in godfather you know with where the train covers up um the al pacino scene and uh it oh, just in, feels in the, in the restaurant yeah yeah in the cafe uh his first killing when he, when uh he does his first hit and it's and it's like it just it it jumps out at you it feels like a a bold thing i think sam mendez um you know this is his second movie as a director yeah and um just the confidence to throw in things like that and and it be effective is it's pretty remarkable um but yeah i love and, that scene as well and i'd say stylistically because the movie is so beautiful and there's so much thought gone into it at no point does that stuff draw you out of it you just kind of nestle into it's so beautiful so quickly that it's not like you're watching like an x-men movie and suddenly they do something like, like that which would feel jarring every shot like that makes context within the within the scene and within the wider scope of the movie yeah and i think the the whole thing was ha- has such a mythic quality you know it's like a film set in the last mythic era of of the united states you know and mm. um yeah it's just there's it, there's such a dreaminess about the film and you know they they play with um, diegetic sound. You know, they'll take the sound of the car engine out or they'll take the sound of the rain out. And yeah. it kind of, so the car just drifts through the landscape. You know, there's some great shots, helicopter shots of this old car passing through, you know, the Midwest. And it's like, it just has this mythic quality. Yeah. So that so when a are... character like Jude Law, Jude Law's character is introduced, yeah, it just all feels part of this kind of weird ghost story that you're watching. Yeah. So that, what other scenes stand out out for you? I've been thinking about this. I think every movie has like a a core scene, you know, a central scene that really the when you zoom right into the heart of the narrative and the heart of the characters, um, this movie this movie revolves around this scene. And I think hopefully through these podcasts, we'll we'll sort of be able to track down which scene in the movie that we're talking about is is that scene the, the the classic one that i always remember is the the scene in um the king's speech you know there's that scene where he's talking with his um speech therapist and then he suddenly opens up and the camera pulls in and he starts to finally open up to his therapist played by jeffrey rush and he sing mm. he like sings do you remember that line where he's like he starts singing like nanny didn't feed me and like the music and it's like it's yeah. like okay, this is the heart of this character and the very, very core of this movie. You know, everything that's happened revolves around this moment, this revelation. Yeah. See, for me, I think within Road to Perdition, the scene that kind of always jumps out to me when I think of that movie, the scene that comes straight to, to my mind is when he finally gets revenge on John Rooney. Yeah. So you've got that amazing. The the lighting is just incredible it's so beautiful and then the rain sound effect just kind of you don't even notice it dropping out 
to the 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 quintessential Thomas Newman repurposing of oh my goodness uh, yeah. Shawshank and American Beauty, but it's still it's amazing. I I think it's his best score writing ever. That scene, and it's one of the great scenes that you'll ever see on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the the scene where they meet in the crypt and they have that conversation, and you know Paul Newman is just unbelievable in that scene. He he got yeah. Os- he got Oscar nominated as a supporting actor in this, and he, you know, the angels are singing up above um, in the cathedral, and the two of them are down there in the crypt. You know, there's so so much symbolism there, and there's that there's that great there's that great moment where Paul Newman's dialogue just shines through. You know, he says, "This is the life we chose, the life we lead." Yeah. Um, there's only one guarantee: none of us will see heaven. Yeah. And that sets up what I do think is the the core the core scene in this movie is the one uh, that you you mentioned before, where where Tom Hanks finally confronts um, uh, Paul Newman's character, and it's just yeah. I mean it's just like again it's like a painting, it's like poetry in motion. Yeah. And they fade out the rain, and you know there's that What's heartbreaking the... line where Paul Newman says. Um, I'm glad, it's, glad you. it's I'm glad it's you. Oh. Yeah. But then what's incredible is you go from this so you've got the rain, the rain fades out to the music and everyone gets gunned down and it's who would have thought that uh, such a violent scene could be so stunning. But then the gun sound effect comes back in when he guns down spoiler alert obviously John Rooney. It just comes back and you, you it it breaks you out of the moment you're like, "Oh yeah, he's done it." Yeah. Yeah, it's explosive and sort of undeniably so loud and violent. <laughs> and you see it written. You don't see the effects of, of the violence. You see it all in Tom Hanks' face. And that that face that he pulls, you know, as he's just full of anguish looking at his, his sort of surrogate father yeah. that betrayed him. Anger, it, it just doesn't get better. Yeah. It doesn't get better. The, the lighting, the, the music, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. So you mentioned some of John Rooney's some of the things he says. So yeah, let's hope the let's hope that he gets to heaven at least an hour before the devil finds out he's dead. Uh, the thing he says to Mike Sullivan, "There are only murderers in this room," is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, what other kind of standout lines, kind of, have you spotted in this film? I think one of my favourite lines, for a completely different reason. <laughs> is the scene with um with Rance in the hotel I mean there's just this hilarious character that gets introduced and I just wrote it down yesterday because I thought it was such a funny moment that cut across the entire flavor of this film when he's like there's no Mrs. Rance and I'm all the better for it <laughs> I'll only say this once as I'm in no mood I want a boiled egg and I want it runny yeah. And there's just some great lines from that <laughs> from that character. He's a short-lived um character in the film, but he just like he leaves his mark. That guy did not mess yeah. around on no, his I day defi- of filming. No, I defy anyone to find someone in a film in any film for such a short amount of time that has such a brilliant impact. <laughs> you believe that character exists completely. It's like he's so good. Yeah, there's some great um I think some of the best dialogue um it really is Paul Newman's, but there's just a few little lines that just, they're, they're so small, but they're so impacting and so devastating. You know, when, yeah, when Tom Hanks is on the phone to his wife's sister and they've, he's, he missed the funeral of his own wife and son because they're mm. on the run. And he just asks, how was it? And he's like on the verge of breaking down. Obviously he doesn't cause he's this 
hardened um, guy and he hangs up the phone before he can really release any of his emotion. But just the way that Tom Hanks delivers that three those three words is like heartbreaking. Yeah, but he still keeps it together. He could teach uh, Sam Smith a thing or two, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> there's also some like a really kind of sweet, funny line when Michael's teaching, where Mike's teaching Michael. Honestly, naming the characters the same thing does not set itself up it well for a podcast. doesn't help, does it? No, but when you've got Mike Sr. and Michael Jr. and he's teaching him to drive and he, he gets past that truck and it's a very close shave and he's like, we made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's when the warmth comes in and there's that line, you know, there's no rush. You know, the, the getaway car just <laughs> yeah, plods so, past at five miles an hour. Yeah, he's just robbed a bank and then it just, the, this car just enters the shot very slowly. And that's where you start to see some of the more Tom Hanks moments. So yeah, after after we made it, he's like, yeah, we made it. And, and the no rush thing. Yeah, you start to feel the warmth of the character. He actually cracks a joke. Yeah, yeah. But then you've also got really heartbreaking things like michael jr finally asking do you like peter more than me yeah that that um that scene in the farmhouse you know where they really they really kind of the 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 final kind of the 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 relationship really kind of starts to glue together at that point yeah um yeah it's such a again it's so well done just with lighting and color and music and and just talking for talking about music for a bit i think my favorite theme probably from the film is this farm farmhouse theme you know when they pull up to the farmhouse and um you know if you i think if you go to the soundtrack it might even be called the farm um but it's just yeah it's just a very um it's just some of i think this is this is thomas newman's great work and 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 you know he's been around for a long time now since this point yeah. i think that this at this point in 2002, his scores still felt really fresh, quite quirky. You know, again, American Beauty was so instantly recognizable as a Thomas Newman score, but there's elements of that quirkiness, like you mentioned earlier, the clarinets and stuff, and some of the, it like turns your stomach, some of the music. Yeah. You know, especially the the murder scene of, of Annie and Peter. Um, but then there's yeah. other moments where it's this lush, you know the quintessential sweeping. like the st- sweeping strings and, yeah. and delicate piano and um, yeah. There's also I really do think it's his best work. When Michael Sullivan Jr. witnesses the the murder for the first time, there's this kind of like screech. Is it blowing too hard into a clarinet? Do I do I recall? Yeah, something like that. Oh yeah, when Finn McGovern gets shot in the head for the first, and he's he's going yeah. down in slow motion, and it's so disorientating. And that kind of brings us into awards, really, because it's you look at the awards this film didn't win, and starting with the music, for for Thomas Newman to not have won this year is is breathtaking. Uh, so, do you know what won? Do you not beat Thomas Newman? Uh, no, will, what was it? I will tell you. It's uh, Elliot Goldenthal's uh, music for Frida. Okay. So I, ha- I, I had it. to, I had no, well, I didn't. And I had to look into this because I thought, okay, I'm thinking about this podcast and I'm going to rip apart this composer having not <laughs> even heard their, their work that they won an Oscar for. But it doesn't sound anything particularly overwhelming. And for that to have beaten 
Thomas Newman for Road to Perdition, where that first track, it just puts you in the, like, it helps you take a step into the movie. Like, it sets you in 1930s. It's You feel the cold. The mm-hmm. Ilan pipe, pipe in that first. Oh, yeah. It's just incredible. And obviously, Thomas Newman to this day has not won an Oscar. Poor bugger. <laughs> Would you trade lives with him right now, mind? My dude's quite old. <laughs> um, I think you're right. This was this was at a time when, when you hear a Thomas Newman score, now you think, yeah, all right. For the most part, he still has moments. I think the help was quite good. Um, yeah, there was one theme in that recent movie, The Highwayman, on Netflix that had a couple of moments. Um, but The Highwayman is like a poor man's road to perdition. Mm. Um. And yeah, I just think it's the marriage of of the music, the you know the sound. They were the the sound team were Oscar nominated for this film. Mm. Um, obviously, we've talked about cinematography, and, and what about what? Sam Mendes? I mean, he wasn't even nominated, was he? Wasn't even nominated. Um, he won. You know, I think he won for American Beauty um, just a few years earlier. American um, Beauty is ninety nine, I think. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. three four years prior. Yeah, and um, just but just, and I know a lot of his work is, was in the theatre before, you know, becoming a movie director. And by now, we know him as the director of you know some James Bond films and mm. um, lately 1917. But for this to be only his second film, I mean, it, it's just an absolute masterpiece. It, I really think, you know, this should be one of the most revered films ever. Um, and a lot of it is down to his his vision, you know, and him mm. being able to pull in. Again, Tom Hanks and Paul Newman and Conrad Hall and yeah, um, and these these guys. So was it was it Polanski who won Best Director that year? Yeah, I think it was. Pianist was that the pianist? Yeah. Uh, no, he didn't direct the pianist. Um, the pianist won Best Actor. Adrian oh, yeah. Brody. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean there were a lot of other great films that year. Um, don't get me wrong, Gangs of New York came out that year, and yeah. So, you know, Tom Hanks wasn't nominated. I think that's probably fair. Um, yeah, you have the Two Towers that same year. Um, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis made one hours. of his, obviously, iconic films. And you had Jack Nicholson with About Schmidt and Michael Caine. So, yeah, yeah. it's a good year for film. And, and so Chicago, it's another... I think, did very well that year. And I can remember at the time thinking Chicago's only doing well because Moulin Rouge came out like a year or two before which was actually a far superior movie. But yeah, it was just one of those years where it was an unfortunate time for a few a few of the people involved in this movie that there were other things that kind of rose to the limelight a bit more. Yeah, sometimes all the good buses come along at once. DiCaprio knows so to that speak. only too well. Exactly. <laughs> so for you, are there any issues with the movie, Sam? Do you think there's anything that could have made it better and do you think there's any kind of faults with the movie that are the cause for it being something that might have been missed by people? Yeah, I think I don't love the open and close. Um, it's not something I noticed before, but just watching it more recently, I think, and I think they added it in post, but the the kind of, I mean, I like the bookend shot of the boy on the beach. Mm. Um, but I think the 
the overdubbed little bit of narrative you know this is this was that fateful summer you know like it yeah it feels a little bit cheapens it 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 does feel a little bit um hokey and i think you could actually cut both at the front and the back of the movie you could cut that dialogue and the film would still make perfect sense um yeah and i know they they worked hard to to choose the right wording particularly for the ending you know i i just tell people he was my father um yeah but that's a bit of a lame line for me yeah it's i think i think that those scenes i could live without yeah i find for me i suppose the the turning point for the entire movie is mike's wife and youngest son getting killed and you don't really feel great you you're sad in that it's a woman and child getting shot but you don't feel for them as characters particularly and obviously with mike suppressing his feelings and and michael jr thinking more about the guilt and his dad you don't really feel a great amount of emotional weight or perhaps as much as you could from from those parts of the film but i don't know you'd have to sacrifice something else if you were to build them up as characters more yeah and i know that they there were scenes that were cut you know that helped to set up a little bit more of the relationship you know the maternal relationship between um jennifer jason lee's character and and the boys and and you know yeah i think that would have helped i still think it's it's pretty shocking and i think part of that is um tom hanks reaction you know when he comes into the house it's just like heartbreaking yeah Yeah. and again you don't see it you don't see the violence um it's all you experience it through the characters um i think another so i i think i think probably some of the stuff that maybe might have really spoiled the film or or slowed it down was left on the cutting room floor i've seen yeah there's an al capone scene that they did film um that i'm so glad they cut i don't know whether you've seen it but it's no i love the fact that they you know they have mike rooney go and meet frank nitty and you don't you hear about yeah. capone i know um well do you know you don't even hear about capone you know they're going to chicago and you know that capone runs chicago in this era um, do you not hear about Capone? You don't hear about Capone until um, Tom Hanks says to the bank manager, I want everything you're holding for Capone. Oh, yeah. Um, but that it, makes it, it even cooler, doesn't it, in some ways? It's almost like Sauron, the villain you don't see. It's Exactly. It makes it keeps Al Capone mythic and not, not literal. And so the scene with Al Capone, um, not only is does it sort of, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz, the, the curtain coming down. Mm. um thing but it's also um it also makes uh john rooney's character seem weaker because he's kind of he's the underling in the room you know as long as al capone's in the room john rooney isn't isn't the guy and so yeah i'm i'm really glad they cut that scene i think that would have that would have spoiled it yeah but honestly i can't i really can't think of too much about this movie that i don't i don't love no and Um, i i think i'll watch this movie at least once every three years for the rest of my life, I dare say. It's got Agreed. so much about it that makes it timeless. And I think as we come into land, we would compel anyone who's already seen it to watch it again and just look for these moments, these beautiful... There's probably so much we've missed, but so many beautiful moments, great bits of dialogue, incredible acting, great direction, cinematography. It's all there. And I think it's one of those times where the stars really aligned just everyone at their A game. And if you haven't seen this movie, Sam, what would you say to people who've who, who have actually missed this movie? 
I'm kind of jealous because I, I, you know, once you've seen it, you've seen it. But if it's something you haven't gotten to experience yet, you know, this is something that you can sit down, um, and just and just enjoy. Um, really, from start to finish, this is such a such a wonderful movie. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed listening um, about it. Maybe you can watch it and come back and listen to it after you've seen it. But um, yeah, it's honestly, I think this is like you said earlier. This is up there um in in my top five as well i think it's the quintessential unmissable movie that that maybe has been missed by a lot of people and i hope it gets its day in the sun i hope it eventually becomes recognized for the um the masterpiece that it is like shawshank perhaps yeah i I guess so it you know it feels like in this in a similar vein and in a similar in a similar kind of genre you know it's this is like a there's there's a lot of artistry in this film it's been very Mm. um carefully made and I think that's worth celebrating, you know. There's uh, yeah. there's a lot of crap out there, and so um, Road to Perdition, um, it just it just restores your faith in in the artistry of filmmaking, on on every single level. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening and watching. Uh, I've really enjoyed unpacking it. I'm sure you have, Sam, as well. Yeah, episode one. That was that was a good a good experience. I'm looking forward to the next movie. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to be doing another one soon, hopefully next week. If you've got any suggestions for films we could look at, you can email unmissablemoviescontact at gmail.com and you can search for us on all the social media. We're there. Except for maybe MySpace. <laughs> let's open and a Be- MySpace page. And Bebo. <laughs> Come on, let's bring it back. All right, let's do it. Thanks so much for joining us on this first episode of Unmissable Movies. And we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.